Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul, uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Entree Architect community, welcome to the backstage area of Context and Clarity. Every Thursday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine McPhail and I and our live audiences that are joining us from all across the internet, we get to talk to a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. You may be the employee of a firm that's dreaming of doing your own thing. Or you may have had your own firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years, and you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe even should be. Every week, we cover topics that fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture. And they're all the need-to-know topics for the success of entrepreneur architects just like you. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff Eccles, and what you're about to listen to is the audio recording of a conversation that my co-host Catherine McPhail and I had to break down this week's Context and Clarity live conversation. So thanks for joining us as we share our biggest takeaways and look for ways to apply what we heard in the Context and Clarity live conversation to our own businesses. In this episode of Context and Clarity, we're back to exploring our new format. As I said last week, I know many times I take for granted just how much is going on with context and clarity and in the Entree Architect community. And sometimes we don't do a good job of sharing that. So we're working on this new format. This week, we talk about a post in the Entree Architect community Facebook group where someone tried the latest AI darling, ChatGPT, and they wondered what everyone else is trying out. We also talk about the discussions that we've had every morning at 9 a.m. Eastern on the Clubhouse app, and then again at 4 p.m. Eastern in our Context and Clarity conversations in the Facebook group. 
We've been talking about ownership transition all week because all those conversations led up to our Context and Clarity Live with Jamie Clear Kaiser, the Director of Advisory Services at Zweig Group. Before we get into it, though, in case you're new around here, well, first of all, if you're new around here, welcome. Thanks for giving the Context and Clarity podcast a try. I appreciate you. Second, you may not know that every weekday morning we kick Context and Clarity off with what we call our coffee talk at 9 a.m. Eastern on the Clubhouse app. It's an hour where you can speak. Clubhouse is a voice-only social app where we can hear your voice, but we don't see you. There's no posting of anything. It's just conversations. It's actually a really cool way that we can all connect with our voices. We have the Context and Clarity Club there inside of Clubhouse. So all of that happens there before we ever even get to our daily Context and Clarity conversations at 4 p.m. Eastern every weekday in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. Those are the two places where every day, architects just like you gather to dig into the topic of the day. You can ask questions. You can answer questions. You can share your experience. You can really bring your experience and your curiosity to the conversations about the business of architecture. And that, of course, brings us all the way back to where we recap Context and Clarity Live. That's the live stream interview show that goes out to Facebook, to LinkedIn, Twitter, Twitch, and to YouTube. So in addition to everything else that I've mentioned, here on the podcast, we'll continue to give you our hot takes on those interviews. In this episode, Catherine and I share our takeaways from our Context and Clarity Live interview with Jamie Clear Kaiser, the Director of Advisory Services at Zweig Group. As I said, Catherine McPhail joined me for both the Context and Clarity Live conversation with Jamie Clare and also for this episode and our new format. Catherine is an architect and a podcaster in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. In addition to Context and Clarity, Catherine hosts Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven, and she's the CEO of Demios Architects. Okay. That's a lot, but I'm looking forward to giving you a bigger view of what's going on in the world of Entree Architects. So let's go backstage and listen in as Catherine and I talk about a week of context and clarity and our conversation with Jamie Clear Kaiser, Director of Advisory Services at Swide Group. In the Entree Architect Community Facebook group, I noticed that uh, there's a post about something that I've seen a lot about on um, main, I, probably starting on TikTok, which is the source of all 
all news for the world, I think. I've seen a lot over the past couple of weeks about an AI program that was published by OpenAI, and it's called ChatGPT. And so scrolling through the Entree Architect Facebook group, and I saw this post, uh, it says, okay, just used Skynet, which is the, you know, from Terminator, Skynet that becomes self-aware and, and then the whole world starts to end. It says, okay, I just used Skynet. I mean, chat GPT to write an email explaining why the color palette I chose for an auto body shop is a good idea. Whoa, she, she used it for an actual email? I didn't know that. They used it for an actual email to explain why the color palette is a good idea. And it says, I know you're all in the playground. Care to share what you've been experimenting with. So as you read down, right, as you get into the comments, it actually doesn't, it does, I I expected, the reason I tagged this one to talk Mm -hmm. about was I expected it to, you know, the comments to wander in all kinds of different directions into different technologies, but it basically, it sticks the comments stick to chat GPT. And so you got one person that says they've been playing with it, had it shorten some of the about us section on their website and write ah, good full descriptions of some architectural styles. Seems really powerful, it says. And then somebody else says, I want to play around with it for marketing sales copy, but just haven't had time to sit down with it. it says my husband has been having it. And this is in quotes. Tell me a joke about a blank and a blank. <laughs> and then it usually proceeds to compose a three to five sentence anecdote about two subjects with absolutely no punchline whatsoever. So apparently it's not very funny. <laughs> well, that's a good news. Yeah, the, the the Seinfeld writers are safe. Okay, so I don't have any experience with this yet because I don't know what I've been doing over the last two weeks, but it hasn't been this. So but writing, having someone else write my emails is a little bit intriguing because then at least that would be something I don't have to do, right? So could it, do you think it could, how does it know, how does how does it have its information? Because someone feeds it information and then it regurgitates it, right? So how does that work? Do you know? I do not know. I don't know exactly how that works. I, I have played with it. I'm impressed. But the first thing I asked it to do, I thought I went, so the second comment that I was reading, they they said uh, they want to play around with it for marketing and sales copy. Well, I, I went a little bit further than that, thinking about it in terms of research. And I, I asked it to do something like, give me a list of all of the architects that participate in um, the AIA small firm exchange or something like that. And it couldn't. Mm. It, I, it It gave me some very human... Very human response. And the idea is it's it's like when you're using a chat bot on some like on Amazon or somebody's website, it's mm-hmm. that sort of interface. You know, you're typing questions and such, and it's it's responding, quote unquote, as a human being. And so when I asked it to do that, it said essentially, I'm not connected to the internet, so I can't do that kind of research. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, you asked me, I couldn't tell you what the list was of the, the people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I get that. I was, frankly, I was quite disappointed in that because I, I see it. I see the, um, the use case for research as being a very powerful tool, but whatever. Okay. It's not, not set up for that. So the next thing I asked it to do was, uh, write a synopsis of the book that we're reading mm-hmm. or, uh, the context and clarity book club for December, which is, the Proximity Principle by Ken Coleman. Uh, you know, I, I I listened to that 
probably over a year ago. I'm going to have to re-listen to it as I prepare for our conversation, our discussion of it. Mm-hmm. Um, January 6th, I think, is the date for that. But I thought, wow, what if it, what if it could give me sort of the Cliff Notes version of the book? And so I, I, I played with it several times, put different parameters like lengths and, hey, optimize it for a, you know, a post or something like that. And every single time, you know, 15 seconds later, I've got this, you know, one minute script about this book or something like that. I do not know how it has that information. Obviously, it's, I'll put this in quotes, someone right, has fed information into this. Yeah, someone has to give it the info. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know Mm. how it, um, you know, how the amount of information, well, the amount of information I'm sure grows through the inputs that we put into it, but it's it's just a fascinating tool. Most of what I have seen and and most people that have commented on it will say that, you know, in terms of marketing copy or or the synopsis of the book or anything like that, it's not great, but it's a heck of a better starting point than a blank page, you know, or a blinking cursor or something like that. Or or getting your assistant to write it. Right. Because that doesn't always end well. Correct. But, um, which is disappointing, but I was wondering if I was wondering if it could do any kind of uh, like show notes for my podcast or anything like that. I like, could it listen to it and then do the show notes? Well, that's a good question. I don't. One thing that I was planning to do and haven't yet is I use a writing assistant, is what they bill it as. It used to be called Jarvis. Now it's Jasper, I think. Um, <laughs> seems Disney had a problem. I gave him a cease and desist over the name Jarvis, but it's a it's a writing assistant, an AI driven writing assistant. I think is how they bill it, and. The way that I use that is like I'm I'm working on a couple of different books that, you know, maybe by the time I die will there'll be a chapter of each written, but but I will I'll write something and then I'm writing it inside of the tool. Okay. And then it takes that information and then draws whatever from from the information that it has and it builds upon it, right? And it 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 helps it assist in that way that it helps me flesh out that information and gives me more ideas to go forward. So it's, mm-hmm. it's responding directly to what I put into it in terms of this is what I'm writing about. I have not tried that with chat GPT. You know, if I said, Hey, write me a book or, or write me a chapter or something about this. And I'm concerned about this, that, or the other would it incorporate that. I don't know. It might, I don't know how robust it is. I guess it would depend what you're writing, but that to me brings up the question of whose intellectual um, material is that? Like who owns that information? Yeah, that's a that is a huge uh, topic in the world of of AI these days. W- one is ethics, and we talked about that a couple of months ago, right, with Matias Del Campo, ethics and AI, and the other is copyright and ownership. The some people that I have seen commenting on Chat GPT, you know, talk about the fact that you know students will never have to study again because now they can just use Chat GPT to to write a paper or um, you know something like that, and and even the the plagiarism tools won't catch it. Be true, may not. I don't know, but 
so I, I think there are some definite questions and I, th- I think it, it falls into, you know, sort of the suite of tools that we like to talk about or like to hate on or whatever. So, you know, what about swap SWAPP swap that we've talked about with uh, Eitan Sarfati or what about test fit that we've talked with uh, Clifton Harness about what are these tools going to do to architecture? Are they going to replace the architect? Do they diminish the value of the architect? And my feeling is no, they don't, they're not going to replace the architect. They're not going to, they don't diminish the, uh, the value of an architect. It just increases efficiency, gets more information and ideas on paper faster. Right. Right. You know, I, yeah. I find it kind of interesting that every time this new something comes along, people get upset about it replacing them rather than thinking, how can I use this tool to my advantage and make my life easier? But they seem to be afraid of it and then just get kind of defensive thinking that this tool is going to, or whatever it may be, is going to take their their job. I just think it's kind of an interesting reaction. People must obviously have different reactions. I don't, I kind of see it as exciting possibilities what how is this going to change what i have to do and that kind of also goes back to what you said about people complaining about well students aren't going to have to write papers or they can just plagiarize and so maybe we just need to not teach everybody how to write if we don't all need to write anymore if we have these tools it's kind of like when um, i was lettering in graduate school and being criticized for not doing that very well and now it turns out i never have to i don't and I don't, I can do it now because I practiced uh, just out of spite. But anyway, um, I don't have to anymore. So I don't really, that's one thing I don't have to worry about. So maybe not every, I had totally personally believe that having writing skills is really important uh, because of communication and being able to express yourself and all different situations. And not everybody needs to write a novel or a research book or anything like that. But it's good to know how one might go about doing that in case you know, your case, you're interested. But if we are going to have this common tool that it just writes what you want people to know for you, then do we really need to know how to write? Maybe this is how the so-called robots are going to take over. Yeah. Um, yeah. Eventually just do all this stuff for us. Well, I think, I think that's a really good point. And there was somebody that I saw again on TikTok talking about it from an educational standpoint. And one of the things that they theorized was that it's going to change the way because of that, you know, that plagiarism idea, you know, a kid's not going to have to, a student's not going to have to uh, write a paper anymore. They theorized that, well, it's going to change the way that we one teach and two evaluate how a student is doing. And so the, you know, there's different testing and, you know, different, different ways to go about that than, than quote unquote, simply writing a paper or something like that. And that intrigued me because as you know, I've, I've been teaching a little bit the last few years and I, what I teach is pro practice. And the reason I teach it is one of the reasons I teach it is because the majority of architects that I've ever talked to have pointed to pro practice as being a terrible class, a worthless class, you know, some version of that when they were in school. And that was my experience as well. It's like, what, what did we even do? Why did we take that class? It's still very much a required part of the curriculum and, and of, uh, 
accreditation. So my quest has always been, how do I look at this differently? How do I um, make this more relevant, more engaging, whatever? And as when I saw that TikTok, one thing that went through my head was, well, maybe this is the thing, because I, I think education needs to be overhauled, period. Mm-hmm. Maybe things like this, tools like this popping up provides a tipping point or pushes us towards the tipping point where everybody suddenly says, I don't, it's not that much different than the practice of architecture in my mind. Many have been doing this traditional practice of architecture for a hundred and some odd years. And I question, you know, is it still relevant, right? Is that business model still relevant? Is this model of teaching students, whether they're in, in elementary school or middle school or high school or university or whatever, is this traditional model still relevant in 2022? So maybe this, maybe this provides some sort of fuel to, to changing the way that we think about educating. And, you know, like you said, actually what we're educating on, you said something else about the, you know, the tools and people being afraid of tools and you know, I remember it's probably back when we talked about AI or one of these, you know, swap or test fit or something that Ed Shannon, an architect that's part of our community, is an architect in Des Moines, Iowa, um, a constant voice of uh, of uh, very practical reason. He spoke up one day and said, you know what? I remember when I was hand drafting and CAD was, was uh, coming out and people said that was going to take all the architecture jobs. And, and also said, ruin our architecture forever because it will be soulless. Exactly, yes. exactly. And then he said, I remember when BIM came, right? And they said the same thing. He said, it's no different. They're just tools. Right, exactly. You've yeah. got to learn how to use the tools. And I, I think that's really, ultimately, that's really the point. And, you know, things like chat GPT and, and you know, the, the AI writing assist that I use, they will continue to fascinate me. Um, will everybody use them? No. Are you going to get left behind if you don't accept the fact that technology is changing the profession? Yeah, I think you are. Yeah, just like in life when you don't, you decide that you don't need to learn about this or that program that everybody's using or this, then then before you know it, after 10 years, you've completely missed the boat, it's gone. You know, my mother's like that. I think that's why older people are like that. They don't, they don't want to do that thing, so they don't do that thing. And then everything becomes more based on whatever technology they decided to ignore. And then they feel like they can't ever catch up. At least that's been my observation. And they get really frustrated. They get really frustrated. I We, we had a family dinner recently and, and some of the, you know, the generation older than ours, I'll say, were really, really frustrated about some technology that, that they had done exactly what you said. Uh, I'm going to ignore this. I don't like this idea. I'm not comfortable. You know, they just, and now it's reality, right? It's part of everyday life and they're frustrated because they don't know how to use it. They don't know. I I don't think they're frustrated because they don't know how to use it. I think they're frustrated because they can't figure out whatever, whatever problem um, it is that they're having. And, you know, and having said all of that, you know, if you bring it back to architecture, I still think there is a place. Like if you want to, if you want to be that person, that architect that wants to hand sketch and hand draft and create everything with your hands, I think there's still room for that. 
But I think what has to happen, I think that what's different about that is you're not going to be successful because you're that person that's still hand drafting. I think what becomes more and more important in that scenario is that you're just flat out awesome. Your, your craft is so amazing that someone goes, oh my gosh, look at this craftsperson doing this in this way. It's so different. Sure, it's different, but it's amazing. And I think, so in my mind, you can still do that, but I think it raises the bar even higher. I don't think you can be a mediocre. No, there's no point in that. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't bad at hand drafting, but I felt like this is much faster when I started to use AutoCAD. Like this is faster. I don't have to put my drawings down every time. And then my my drawings aren't all the same. They were not, ended up not being orthogonal after a while because I wouldn't put them back exactly the same or I'd been working on this part. And then my, I shifted it. Nightmare for me. It did not work for me. So it, it was so much better working in AutoCAD. And some people still love to hand draft. And I have a couple friends who still do when they are proudly uh, Luddites. They declare themselves to be that. And uh, that's fine for them. I, it's not what, that's not what I, what I want to spend my day. Because I what I need to do is make, get the permit sets out. I mean, that's what I'm doing instead of creating this artwork of a drawing. Even though I might like to spend time on that, I don't have the time to do that. So you know, I, I think I, I think that's a really good point. Is that ultimately the question is: Is it about the output? And by output, I mean like the deliverable. Is it about the construction documents, right? Is it about the permit set, or is it about the actual creation? The beauty of it, you mean? No, I mean, I, I mean, like, is it is it about the permit set, or is it about the space that you're creating? Because I, I think that gets to the fundamental value of the architect. Or maybe is it about the permit set or is it about your solution to the problem? Right. Well, those could be the same thing, though, right? Either way, you're solving the problem. One's an expression of the other, I suppose. Yes. But I mean, a lot of the, my, my friends who, who love to talk about how great their hand drawings are, mm -hmm. that's fine. And they care about it, right? But nobody, not a lot of the contractors that I personally work with would notice or care if I have more or less beautiful drawings. I mean, some of maybe one out of 10 might might notice, but what they need is the information to go ahead and build the, the project. So I'm not saying the added beauty is irrelevant, but it, for me, it's not worth spending the time on. No one's going to pay me to do that. I think that's the point, right? Is do you want to be valued for the beauty or the quality even of your permit sets? Or do you want to be valued for the way that you solve this problem? You know, if it's, if it's an addition to an, to a home or a renovation of a historic home or something, do you want the client to say, oh my gosh, those were, those were really nice. That was a really nice permit set. Or do you want them to say, I can't believe how much we enjoy living in this house now that you have designed this, this addition, you know, how much better it flows, whatever, whatever the criteria were, because I think ultimately you, you can, and I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but, but if your focus is on those, on the permit set within an hour, I can hire 10 different people 
to produce that permit set guaranteed cheaper than you know whoever to whoever the architect is right that that is 100% commodity work but i doubt that any of those 10 people are going to design something that ends up in the client saying i can't believe how much we love living in this house now i want to be valued for that i can't believe how much we love living in this house now cuz that's not commodity no, that's the whole point. To me, that's the whole point. So I'm just not personally really great at the hand drawing. If someone else is gifted at it and they love doing it, then they should do it. They, But I, I also just personally am not going to do that. I'm going to be using the tools and I'm going to be using the BIM. And it's not beautiful in the hand drawing sense that I went to school to understand was the goal, you know, but I've had to let it go, which maybe makes me not a very good architect, but but you know what I am going to do? Speaking of, I think it's similar where I think I'm going to go to this chat uh, GPT and have them write all my blog posts. So I'm just going to ask them to listen to my, um, let's say, listen to my podcast or write something about whatever. And then I'm just going to say this is written by, I'm just going to say it's written by them and see what happens. Well, I, I think that's the power of the tool. And I don't know if chat GPT will do that. I'm I'm curious about that because right now it's a free program. And I pay a lot of money for the version of Jasper that I have. Jasper. How much do you pay? Am I, is that a rude question? I'm wondering how much I would value Jasper. I pay, I would have to look it up, but I'm certain that I pay several hundred dollars a year, maybe oh, okay. maybe getting up to close to a thousand dollars a year. Okay. But I, but I have, you know, I have like. Well, it's a tool you use, right? I mean. A yeah. lot of these subscriptions I have are maybe a hundred dollars a month because I really need them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that may be close to what I pay. I'm not. I'm not sure. But to do what what you're talking about, that's super easy in that tool. And the way I would do it is, I would take a transcription tool like Otter AI, which I use. I could transcribe the the podcast, right? The take the take the audio, transcribe it in Otter take that file, put it into Jasper and say, write, write show notes for this. And within seconds, there would be show notes. I mean, that would be so worth it. Even if it were a hundred dollars a month, because it takes me a long time to do that. It sure, it sure is going to take me more than a half an hour to do that. One of the, maybe the overlooked things for most of us is say, Hey, write show notes that are optimized for YouTube or for SEO, or because a lot of us are not trained or good at that because we're not trained. And that, that I think, you know, Hey, I don't have that skill set because I haven't researched it or whatever. Why not let the tool do that? Um, you know, that, that, that's where I think it starts to get really powerful. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, you, you try chat GPT and let me know what you think about it. Let, I'll put that on my list of things to do. Send me your um, War and Peace Volume 2. Well, mo moving on from, from that comment inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group to everything that is Context and Clarity this week. Uh, for Context and Clarity Live, we talked with Jamie Claire Kaiser, who's the director of, of everything, almost everything, at uh, Zweig Group. Advisory Services is really her title, Director of Advisory Services. And mergers and acquisitions fall under Jamie Clare's 
realm. That's really her her strength. So all week we've talked about ownership transition in different ways, whether partnership or buying a firm or selling a firm, and then um, exit plan is is how we wrapped up the week. But but I I thought some really great conversations around those topics this week. A lot of people were pretty engaged in these conversations. And and frankly, it surprised me a little bit how much engagement there was in these conversations. Well, it's certainly nothing I ever thought about before I got involved with you and Entree Architect talking about what my exit plan was. And I know that in the beginning, I probably just said my exit plan is that I'm going to die and then it's going to be over. And so um, that wasn't very well thought out. And so now after these years of thinking about building, business and having a business rather than something that can work without me being there. It's actually something that I'm kind of thinking about. How can I, can I make that happen? At least I'm thinking about it. And what, when I was talking to Jamie Claire about as a sole practitioner, I work by myself pretty much. I have some people helping me, but I would not be that valuable for a murder, obviously. So she was saying it would be a strategic hire for somebody who works on their own, basically. Yeah. Yeah. As, as, a, as that solo person. And I know there are a lot of people in our community that are in a similar situation, right? Have a similar setup. And so the question is, you know, what, I guess, jumping to the end of the week, you know, what's your exit plan? What do you want to get out of this? Do you, do you actually just want to walk away or are you trying to build something of value or, you know, some sort of lasting income or something like that? And, I, I had an epiphany this week as we were talking about this. I've told this story over and over, and I never, for some reason, I never thought about this until we framed the questions and the conversations the way we did this week. And the story is, you know, when I went out on my own, marketing consulting and business consulting, mainly for architects and eventually for others in um, uh, professional services, the the way I tell the story is I woke up one day and said, when did I decide to build a social media agency? Mm-hmm. Because I had started doing a lot of social media consulting for architecture firms and, and some engineering and, and construction firms as well. But, but the, it, you know, it was developing strategies all the way down to actually developing and, and posting for firms. And you know, I woke up one day, the, the, the way that I got there was I kept saying, yes, you know, we're working on something else. We're working on an overall strategy or, you know, whatever. And somebody says, Hey, you know, I saw you at this conference talking about social media. Can you do our social media for you? And I kept saying, yes. Oh yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Mm-hmm. And eventually it became too much for myself alone. So I, I did what a lot of architects do, you know, in their practices. Okay, well, who can help me with this? So I go out and eventually I have three 1099s working for me and mm-hmm. uh, on these things and and considering actually adding staff, you know, and VA and, and things like that. And I woke up that morning and went, when did I decide to build this? Because that wasn't the intent. And it was really a question of why am I doing this? Because it's not what I really want to be doing. And so what I did was figure out basically how to wind it down and pivot. Right. And the epiphany this week was, what if I had just 
packaged that up? What if I had made a few tweaks like Jamie Clear talked about and some of the things that we talked about and we talked about with Michael Gerber, author of E-Myth, E-Myth Revisited and- um, Or about the franchising. Yeah, Lisa Raines talking about franchising at Pride Road over in the UK. What if I had made a few tweaks, systematized and documented a few things and just sold that and walked away from it? Would you have been able to do that? How much would that have taken? Like, How long would that take, do you think? That is something I've been thinking about. So I'm wondering how long you think you could have, how much time would that have taken you to do? You know, we already had some systems in place and some definitely some guidelines in place because you, we had to have, you know, to me, it was once I got beyond A1099, right, until it started being multiples, you've got to keep the same quality of communication with the clients and quality of of the um the strategies and the posts and the the timing and all of that. So we had some systems in place and some tools in place, different softwares and, you know, things that we're using. Now the question is if they're 1099s, I don't think there's technically any value there to the, the uh, company. So, you know, if I had hired them, them as employees, right. And I had a book of clients, you know, an on, ongoing revenue stream, I don't think it would have taken much for me to do that and to sell it. Now that, it, you know, it would not have been a super lucrative sale. But it would have been something. Yeah, it, it would have been something, right? I think, what did what did Jamie Clare say? Like four four times revenue. Mm-hmm. I, I know she had a, a lot of qualifiers in there, but. Right. But yeah, I mean, I could have, I could have sold that for what, uh, you know at least at least a year's worth of comfortable salary uh probably probably a little more than that but well like i said that was just an epiphany it's like oh yeah duh i could have if i had known then what i know now right i guess that's why i'm i'm having a similar slow epiphany instead of just dismissing it what if i did do that but what would, would that even mean so i've been thinking a lot about the franchising model and just basically that how she said that their output you know Coming up with a master plan, I keep going back to that master plan idea. But so if I had a system like she does, and then that's the system that you sell to that other person. Oh, Lisa Range, yeah, at, at Pride Road, yeah. Anyway, it's um, it's interesting to think about, and but not something before I came to context and clarity that I sat around and thought about really at all. And it's not something that they talked about or anybody taught me in graduate school. And so for definitely, I know we we talk about pro practice and everything that definitely has to include a little bit more about running a business. I'm not even sure what it was. Yeah. It's, it's not something that we learn in architecture school. And I, I think that is one of the beauties of, of what we, what we have going on here inside the entree architect community and, and um, context and clarity, right. It's that's sort of the point is what can we learn? How can we build better businesses and, Looking looking back on my my own epiphany that I just described in this conversation with with Jamie Clear, I hope that other architects, especially sole practitioners, say, "Oh, Jamie Clear said this would be a strategic hire. I'd have to go and work for another firm and bring a book of clients with me, and and that's how I would create value." But what if, right? What if you took a few extra steps and got it what got your thing right developed your firm into something that was saleable how would that change your future your family's future what you know whatever your goals are it's it's 
all of this is up to the individual. There's no one size fits all or, or right or wrong answer, but I like the what ifs. So I have a what if for you. Okay. This is the way I'm thinking it could work, but I don't know if this is at all realistic. So if I had something going on and I had a name for myself and people came to me because they want a certain thing that I offer, then could I sell it to somebody else who could then carry on with the work while I'm still working there as an old person? By old person, I mean like 85. Um, so, but I'm still there and attached to it and I get a small salary based on, you know, how Philip Johnson just showed up to work. So I feel like if I were still around and still out networking and still getting the, bringing the projects in, in a way, then I could get a small salary for doing that. So I'm essentially working part-time for my old firm, getting a decent retirement salary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a good takeaway from the conversation with Jamie Claire. You've got to extrapolate a little bit, I think, from our actual conversation, but, but that happens a lot. You know, one of the things that she said was, these are not her words, but my interpretation, specialty is where the value is. The drivers are almost never purely financial. There is sometimes that's really what's driving it and, and, you know, no fault or blame. And I just want to say that you, as a business owner, you build something of value and, you know, fundamentally like the business that we are in, you know, it says the work that we do is valuable. Every hour that we charge is valuable. There is inherent value to what we do. And I just don't think that it's like a problem to talk in those terms. You know, there's nothing wrong with that being the goal. However, it is almost never, uh, you know, what somebody is really looking for and certainly not what they're looking for in a transaction partner. You know, you, you do all this and build it and you want the best for your people, for your clients. And sometimes the motivation is to join a firm because they've got or perceived that they have, uh, you know, extra capacity and resources to help. Unfortunately, all spoiler alert, everybody's crazy busy. There aren't a lot of people that just have folks sitting around. If they do that, they probably aren't in a position to acquire because they've got people that aren't <laughs> busy <laughs> sitting around. But just like the resources and economies of scale is also a huge driver too. You know, just the, the benefits, the training. I mean, just the, the things that come with, you know, not reinventing the wheel, joining a firm that already has the ability to help you execute kind of what your highest and best use in strategy is. That's a huge part of uh, really what drives the combinations that we see. Definitely legacy and client service. And it, it's a lot more than you know, just, just the numbers. So like you said, you, you have developed something that people come to you for some sort of specialization or, you know, a, a niche of some kind. Yeah. There's, there's value to that. And the way that a lot of these, these transactions play out, these acquisitions play out is, and we saw this with, with uh, Betsy Dougherty when we talked with her, a couple of months ago, she and her husband are employed or now employed by after being acquired by Perkins Eastman. I forget what the period was, but something like five years, right? So it's this relatively slow transition out because if you developed that expertise, that niche, that specialty, whatever, you can't just go hand it to somebody. Right, because no. you're the you're theoretically you're the person or you're the firm, so it it has to be absorbed into that. You have mm -hmm. to be there uh, until one they can, you know, completely pay you off for in the transactional sense, but also they can absorb that that reputation, uh, that specialty, et cetera. That that's I I would have to ask Jamie Clear this, but my guess is 
that that's a majority of the way that it happens. Yeah, I think that's the way I would have to do it. How can you double down on a specialty that that some other firm would like to like to have? That that would be a, a legit exit plan. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of, as always, it's a lot of food for thought. This context and clarity. It is yeah. discussions. I'm a little bit biased, but th- this is one of those weeks that I really love. I really love. I mean, we started talking about partnerships and it was really interesting to see people's perspectives on where, whether or not they would want a partner and then the whole buying and selling of firms and then the the conversation with Jamie Claire. I, I really, really enjoyed that. As you're listening to that, to this uh, conversation that Catherine and I are having right now, first of all, go over to the uh, Entree Architect YouTube channel and watch the whole conversation with Jamie Claire. She knows as much about mergers and acquisitions in the AEC world as as anybody, she's she's a real wealth of knowledge and real research, real resource there. So go check that out, and you know maybe maybe ask what if, what if there was something other than just walking away and closing closing your doors, uh, might uh, might change the way that you think about the future of of your business. All right. Well, now you know what we thought and what we're going to do with what we learned. But what did you think? What did we miss? I really hope that there was some big takeaway from either the Context and Clarity Live conversation or our breakdown here that will help you with your business. DM me on Instagram or Twitter and let me know what your takeaways are. You can find me on all the socials at at Jeff underscore Eccles. That's at J-E-F-F underscore E-C-H-O-L-S. So send me a message and let me know what your takeaway was. And if you want more conversations like this, subscribe to the Context and Clarity podcast where you're listening right now and leave us an honest review and a rating. Those things really do help us to get the message out and help more architects just like you. Oh, and also now you can follow us on Instagram as well as get a heads up on everything that's coming up. There, we're at context underscore clarity. In our next episode, Catherine and I will host Context and Clarity Live again with a new special guest and a new theme for the week. And we'll come right back here, backstage again, to break it all down for you again. There's always something new to look forward to. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people like you that care about the built environment. And it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you're going to find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And finally, if the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you and you'd like to dig deeper into it, then join me over in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations. And we take these topics, topics like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community, your practice, and how you can support those around you. Catherine and I will be back for our next episode. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me 
and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context may be. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.